moving kind of on to what we want to talk about today, mm-hmm. you know, again, me being cynical, we were talking a lot about risk, right, and all that. So what, you know, and, and how actually bonds aren't always safe and, and mm. aren't always the, the safest. So, so what are the types of like pitfalls that, that people should look at, right? Or, or what are the kind of like warning stories or early warning signs that, that people kind of need to look at and, and not just blindly buy because the RM saying this is good. Mm. One of the very common pitfalls which I see, you know, last time as a credit analyst, Anthony, is that um, a lot of people mistaken that bonds, you know, the higher the yield, the better it is, right? So a lot of people, you know, the, the, the most common or the number one trap that a lot of these bond investors make is actually just chasing for the high yield without considering the risk involved and without considering, you know, the kind of companies or the issuers, you know, of these bonds. You know, there was once, you know, when I walked into a lunch meeting, right, with this client, what happened was that he was so angry, right? And he was saying that what happened to all these uh, bonds in my portfolio? You know, I've lost money in all of them because they've all defaulted. <laughs> and as, as a I'm credit sorry. analyst, he, you he know, probably lost a few million dollars, but when, I just find it I don't know, I, you know, <laughs> when I look at that list, I realize that it was a portfolio full of high yielding bonds. You know, in other words, you know, they, these, these are all junk bonds, right? They, they, they have a very high yield, but they do not have the ability uh, or the capability to actually pay their principles back. And, you know, this is something which is a very common uh, mistake or a very common trap which a lot of bond, mis- uh, bond investors make. You know, they actually look into investing into these high-yielding products, mm. right? Yep. Now, so, so that's kind of like trying to buy dividend stocks and only buying the highest dividend-yielding stocks, right? Exactly. Essentially. I, I mean, the concept also pretty much stays the same here. Yeah. I mean, if you're buying uh, dividend stocks, one common mistake is just to be looking at the yield, right? And yes. Without even considering... You know, and, and not even looking at three-year yield or five-year just one-year yield. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the next thing which a lot of people, they tend to actually ignore is actually diversifying their portfolio because a lot of times people actually buy bonds thinking that they are really safe. Uh, but of course, you know, they might be chasing the highest yield, but they might only be just buying one or two of these bonds. And as a result, you know, it actually cause a huge loss to their portfolio if any of these bonds default. Having to actually diversify um, bonds, your portfolio of bonds is very, very important. And there's not a lot of investors are doing this enough. But that, that's kind of a problem, right? Because I mean, you know, your your minimum stake is 250k one bond. I want to diversify, let's say I need six to get relatively decent diversification. It's not even buying six you know, junk bonds, right? You know, I, I buy six at, at different tenures, different industries, different, you know, in credit ratings, and then I get a blended rate of, you know, seven, eight percent great, right? But that's 1.5 bucks, mm. right? How and then th- this is in a context of a broader because you're not 100 percent bonds, right? You are probably 50, 60, 70 percent bonds if you're close to retiring. You know, so that means that you have a 2.5 buck portfolio. Um, total, how many people are there that can actually get proper bond diversification, right? Mm. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe we can talk a bit about, you know, other products later on that can give you this sort of diversification without without having that minimum ticket size. Yeah, I mean, right? uh, if, if you look at it, um, that's a very, very big concern, right? Because bonds are $250,000 and un- unfortunately, you know, in this part of the world, uh, you don't really have a much smaller size. I mean, one good access to uh, having small amount is actually looking at retail bonds. So there are a couple of retail bonds out there where investors can actually buy and that, that is in a small amount of $1,000 for one unit of bond. 
Um, another way you can do it is through a bond fund, right? Where you know you invest in a fund or the fund manager who buys into a basket of bonds. So that's one other way which you can look at. Now, there is also a brokers who also specialize in taking that $250,000 and breaking up you know, into very small amounts, right? So you can actually look out for some of these brokers. They need to come sponsor our show, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but you so, know, yeah, yeah. So this, 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 these are some of the things where you know these are some ways where you can actually go around. You know what you call a very high ticket uh, amount for bonds, and you know I share the same concern with you, Anthony. You know, if I want to buy a bond, you know, I can't be forking out two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, I don't have that kind of money. But you know, if you're asking me, you know, a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, you know, that's fine. And I think that's one good way. You know, to either look at funds or look at retail bonds. I think Singapore government bonds also allow you to actually put a small amount of money. Yeah to, you know, invest in yes. bonds. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, in, in, the, in the Singapore regional context, it's like SSBs, although there's a cap there, you know, um, government securities, um, no, no cap there, so, so much better. Um, but, you know, the, the, the whole retail investing space or corporate bond space, I think that, that, that's kind of been limited to only the... It's not just AIs, right? Because AI is a million dollars. You can't get a diversified bond a diversified portfolio of individual bonds with a million bucks, right? That that's not gonna happen. So so you need people a lot more than that. Well, you can always run a business and then you can always accumulate a few million dollars to buy your the portfolio of diversified. I, 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 bonds, I, was gonna, right? I was gonna ask, right? Does blockchain solve this? But wrong, wrong, wrong show, wrong show. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, I think having different products or having products that provides this sort of assets, because you know, what what I'm hearing from all these pitfalls is the, the basic concepts of investing still apply, right? We still want diversification. That, that's the, the one, one, only free lunch in the world. Oh, I can't remember who said that. Somebody famous. Um, you know, we, we still want all that kind of like, oh, we don't just look at the you. We need to look at something else. Or we, we need to un understand the business. That sounds like equities. Huh? You go and listen to the stock kickout also. Same thing. You know? <laughs> so, so, you know, I think that the concepts remain the same, right? Mm -hmm. Slightly different. Um, but but the, the risks and all that are, are still there. So yeah, you know, if any interest, I think we, we need to look out a bit more for like interesting products and all that that can give us, that can fulfill, right? This kind of basic concepts and, and basic, you know, risk management of investing rather than um, individual bonds. So yes, any anybody with interesting products out there, again, please let us know. Give us some money to sponsor us. That'll be great. We'll talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, because you know, I, I also want to buy, right? <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, they, they tend to view bonds the wrong way. Wrong in the sense where you know it's a lot like driving a Ferrari or Porsche, right? If if you want the fast and furious, you know you drive a, a a Ferrari and a Porsche, right? But if you're someone who wants to be comfortable with a regular set of income, you want to be safe, you know you want to sleep soundly at night. You wouldn't want to be driving a Ferrari or Porsche. You want you want to be driving at least you know say a Volvo or at least a Toyota Corolla, right? I just say Volvo, safest car on the planet. Six star safety rating. <laughs> not not sponsoring us also by the way, but yes. <laughs> so. I think it really depends on how people actually see. So a lot of times they actually press, you know, they they actually press the, on the gas pedal the wrong way, right? So you are you are you you are pressing the gas pedal on different cars, right? You know, if you are going to be a growth investor or you know a uh, a growth investor or a value investor, you know, you want to have that kind of strong capital appreciation, and maybe you want probably 
you know, a Ferrari or Porsche, you know, works for you. But, you know, if you're someone who says, you know, I'm not going to bother about what's going to happen in the market, you know, I want to be safe, as safe as possible, I want to make sure that I am able to put in, you know, if I'm able to put in uh, $100,000 today and I want to make sure I get back that $100,000 tomorrow, you know, I wouldn't want to be driving a Ferrari or Porsche. I want to be driving, you know, something else, right? Something yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. Or, I mean, even just thinking about it, right? If you are just kind of saving up for your, your uni's fees, uh, six years, ten years, your kids' uni's fees, right? Six years, ten years down the line. You you don't need, you know, 20% returns, right? Um, you, it's kind of, you're setting aside your lump sum now and you, you want it to slowly accumulate and grow to, to reach your target sum in, in six, ten years. You know, so, uh, an instrument like a bond is actually helpful because you, you kind of know the, the you know, yield you'll get. You can extrapolate out, you know, quite easily. If there's a product that gives you diversified, you know, exposure to bonds, then, then that kind of helps as well, mm. right? So, so it, I think, you know, we, we kind of think about bonds for, for retirees and, you know, for, for safety, yes, but it can also be used as kind of a savings mechanism um, for, you know, specific targets that you want to reach in, you know, five, ten years' time, right? That, that, that makes it relatively useful. Okay. Okay. Good. Now, so now I I, I know all, all these things about um risk about bonds, but you know then then sometimes you, you go read a bit and then you get a bit confused, right? Like oh, they, they say what well, cocoa, not not coca, not not steamboat, cocoa. Coco yeah, <laughs> not, not not cocoa crunch also, right? Um, got got convertibles, got perpetual, huh? They pay you five percent forever. Cannot be what? What what are the different? I mean, when you talk about a bond and you talk about like you know. Assessing a bond. What what are some of the types of characteristics of, of the different bonds that you know we, we can kind of see and, and what are those? Okay. So yeah. um I think a couple of um questions in there and I'll probably just unwrap it, you know, step by step. Uh, so first of all, you know, the different types of bonds. So you have your government bonds, you know, you have your corporate bonds. Uh, these are very simple, straightforward bonds where, you know, you give them money and then after a couple of years or a certain period of time, they pay you back together with, you know, interest. Now, there are also other bonds as well. Like say, for example, like what you said, what you call your cocoa bonds or your, this is the short form, but the longer form is called your contingent convertible bonds. Okay. Right, it's a bit complex here, and I don't know. Sometimes I really hate the bankers which come up okay, with names. Okay, I, I guess, I guess. Okay, right. So contingent convertible just means that if you hit a certain requirement or a certain condition, then it converts like It changes. So maybe uh, if I now debt, so it changes into equity. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And the reason why this exists is because a lot of times, you know, issuers or companies, you know, they are not very comfortable with issuing bonds, mm. right? Because number one, these bonds, when I when I borrow money from you, Anthony, I have to actually pay you back. Yeah. Now, if I actually yes, borrow, should. yeah, I should, <laughs> you should, but, you should. But, but, <laughs> if, but if the companies don't want to pay you back, yeah. if I want to borrow money from you, I say, hey, Anthony, I'm not going to pay you back for a very long time. I do not mm. know when, but I have no intention of doing so. So what do I do, right? I can do what I call a, conting a contingent convertible. What this means is that I'm going to borrow money from you, but I'm going to tell you that there's no maturity date. I, I would say that, look, you're not going to get your money back. And the only way to get your money back is after you invest in these bonds, you know, you can actually trade it off in, you know, the financial yep. market, uh, in the bond market. Yeah. But the important thing for the issuer here is that they don't have a maturity date. That's why they are very incentivized to actually borrow money using these instruments. And the kicker here, why it's called contingent convertible is that they give a clause, okay, you might think that, hey, I'm going to get my money back. How in the world am I going to get a stake here yeah. you know, in the company? So what these guys do, these companies do is that say, okay, I'm 
I'm going to borrow money from you, but if my company doesn't do well, right, if the value of this bond starts to drop into a certain amount, or if this, the value of this company starts to drop uh, or deteriorate or the fundamentals start to drop, this set of bonds, or what you call cocos, will be converted into stocks. So oh. you, you will invest now in stocks <laughs> rather than the bonds. Wait, wait. So you convert at the issuer's option? Yes. yes. And they tend to convert when the issuer is not performing. Exactly. So you are sort of getting hit. Hey, that, that's rubbish, right? Because you want bonds <laughs> to be safe. I, I'm sorry, right? Because you, you, you are buying bonds to be safe. You want to be, you know, preferred mm. to equity. You're, you're in priority to equity. You know, you're debt instead of equity and you are taking on less risk that way for less return, yep. right? That's the whole point of it, you know? So exactly. if you are going to say, actually, you know what? When If the risk is going to realize I'm going to convert into equity and degrade you again, oh, that that kind of sounds like it shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Yep. So um this is this is this is one actually one instrument where uh people where actually people are where a lot of investors are looking at because they offer a much higher yield, for example. And it's also very popular um among all the different banks, right? Because this this helps to sort of build up their financial position or their financial health because they can I can, can actually they can actually borrow money without ever having to pay you back. And they can convert it into equity and meet their basal requirements, right? Because as a bank, you have capital requirements and all of that. Mm. Sneaky. Yeah. Very, very, I mean, okay, very, very clever lawyers. I'm not me. Very, very clever lawyers. But okay, interesting, right? And, and I guess the, the, the attractiveness, as you said, for investors is, you know, because of the bad terms, yep. um, you get higher yields. Yep. So right. the sister instrument of COCOs, so COCOs are typically issued or raised from banks, financial institutions, right? So you have your banks, you have your insurance companies. Now, how about corporates, right? So you're talking about companies outside of the financial industry. You know, you have, say, your uh, construction business, your manufacturing business, your consumer business, so on and so forth. You know, do they also have this kind of option? Yes, they do, right? So this is what you call a perpetual security or what you call preferred shares, right? Again, right, I raise money from you and I pay you, you know, a certain coupon every single year. And again, I don't have to pay you back the money, right? So preferred shares are instruments, again, they are one form of debt instrument where they borrow money from, you know, from you, from myself, and they say, you know, I'm not going to pay you back. So, you know, I'm going to take your money, I'm going to hold it all the way to you until the company fails or, you know, or if oh, you decide I feel like to sell. You back. Yeah. So, <laughs> wait, wait. so that's one, one other instru instrument. Wait, are, are preferred shares the same as um, perpetuals? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so, so these are perpetual securities, is that, but, you know, I mean, they are, called, they are called perpetual securities. They are essentially debt. They pay you a coupon, right? Yeah. I mean, I've got to ask you this, Anthony, because these are all the legal terms yeah. come, came out from the lawyers. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> lawyers are terrible. Okay, I'll tell you first. Yeah, so um, so preferred shares um, have the same features as a perpetual security, but of course, in a legal term, they could be a bit different. Um there might be some nuances, there might be some differences and I think really because it's how they could account it or how the accountants would want to account for this uh, debt on their financial statements, right? So this sort of affects, you know, how a company's financial position or the financial health actually looks, really, really looks, right? So that is probably the reason why there's, you know, a difference in the terms or the names for it. But in essence, the features are roughly the same. Yeah. They, 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 they borrow money from you. They don't have to pay you back because there's no maturity date, but they do have that obligation to actually pay you that coupon, Okay, that interest. So it's essentially 
let's say, yeah, I borrow money from you. I say, let's say a hundred bucks. I pay you 6% interest every year. So every year I pay you $6, right? And I'll pay you $6 essentially for the rest of my life. Because yep. um, that's why it's perpetual, right? Or that's why it's preferred. And, you know, from the, the accounting perspective, on, on my side, it's not seen as I owe you money, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a debt. It's not a liability. It's, I think, equity, mm-hmm. right? I think it's, it's equity. So, you know, when, when people look at, oh yeah, you know, you're, if you are looking look at a company as an equity and you're trying to invest in that, you know, of course, REITs and all these property companies do this, right? And, and you look at their balance sheet and you go, oh yeah, I got a lot of assets, not a lot of liabilities, but they got a lot of preferred securities, right? That's actually quite terrible because they do have to pay, you know, a lot of coupons for the preferred securities, even mm-hmm. though, you know, it's, you know, we, we keep thinking about it as good for the company, but it, it is actually still a, a liability, an ongoing liability la, in yeah. a sense because they need to pay interest. Is there a way, I mean, from the company's perspective, right? Is there a way that you know, they can kind of get out of a perpetual obligation? Because it, it does sound quite terrible, right? You, you have to... I have to pay you six dollars forever. Why, you know, I, I pay you for a hundred years, two hundred years, like I, I actually end up losing money. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, they can always buy back the okay. perpetual securities. Mm-hmm. So they can always say, you know, look, I don't wish to actually pay you anymore. Yep. And I decide to buy it, you know, from everyone. And they have that option to do so. Oh, okay. So they, so, so they can kind of just like redeem it or like yeah, so redeem that's the, yeah. So that's the word to actually use it. Um that's the technical word to use it. So they can actually redeem those uh preferred or perpetual securities mm-hmm. uh from you. Oh, okay. Okay. But again it's their choice whenever yes. they want to I don't have a say if I do want to get my money back because I need it for whatever reason, I have to sell it in the secondary market. Yeah, exactly. Do you like do you like higher yield, Anthony? I mean, I like money, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I also like to get my money back. Yeah, so it's interesting here because uh, the reason why people love all these uh, instruments, mm-hmm. you know, your perpetual securities, your cocos, is because they offer a much higher yield yep. to compensate for the lack of, you know, a typical bond feature, which is your maturity. Mm. And, you know, you typically can see the yields are actually much higher and it's yep. actually more attractive. Um, now, what's, what's more Back to the first lesson, right? Don't just chase you yeah. because you, you might be getting into all these you know, different types of instruments that you go, hmm, there, there are some risks here. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah. So what's risky here is to actually buy into uh, companies or financial institutions where they can get a bit risky Right, they might not be financially healthy, so buying to some of these perpetuals or these cocos can be a bit risky. But it could be something where it's interesting, where you're looking at you know high quality financial institutions, high quality companies which are doing you know which are issuing perpetual securities or cocos. Right, so that's where even though you have you know you might not get paid back, but you have a higher yield, but you also get the safety from a high quality company. Mm. Or a bank. Yeah, but I, I guess the the answer to that is well, you know, but if they are really a high quality company, the spread between a, a traditional bond that they issue and a perp that they issue wouldn't be that different. Mm. Right? So so a perp would still give you maybe half percent, one percent higher, you know, but because they are such a credit worthy company, they are strong, people don't see them as feeling, you don't actually get that much higher yield, you know, just because of a, a difference in the function of, of the instrument they, they, they issue. Right, so you know, I hire you, but there, there's, I think again, no free lunch. Right? Yeah. People give you more money. They, they wanted some. They took something in return. Yeah.